Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Uh, let's going forward in our message for today. Uh, back to knowing God. This is part seven. And so far we've been covering a whole bunch of things. And one of the things we've covered lots, uh, John 17, 3. Do you guys remember that passage or the verse? Hopefully you're starting to remember it. If not, I'm going to help you remember it. Let's read it together. And if you can, wait, 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 before we start. If you can, do it without reading. And if you have to read, that's totally fine. But just see how much you can get. Even if you have to glance, that's one of the ways that I memorize. I love memorizing scripture is I start by reading it and then I see if I can, how much I can say with with just glancing. So try that if you want. But let's do it in three, two, one. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, to know God. This is life. We covered that. We've looked a lot at that. And then over the last few weeks, so that was the foundation we started up on. And Pastor Lauren talked about how we cultivate the right heart. And we've spent a lot of time now looking at hearing God and does he speak in the various ways in which he speaks and kind of comparing that with, with you know, other forms of learning. And now we want to kind of bring it together for, for the last two uh, messages of the series and kind of look at, so now we've looked at this. So knowing God is eternal life. And we've looked at all of these different things that we need in order to, to know him in our prayer life and to hear him and to make him not just our savior, but also our functional Lord. Uh, We've looked at that as well. And today I wanted to, you know, take a step back and to help us really focus in and move it forward. Uh, One of the things that I have talked about um, this, the last two weeks I've made a comment uh, that we are here on purpose and for purpose. So if you woke up this morning and anyone who hears me Right now, you did wake up this morning whenever you're listening to this. You woke up today. And that means that you had breath in your lungs. You know what the neat thing about that is? According to Scripture, that means that God continued to choose to to sustain you by the word of his power this morning. Isn't that an interesting thought? Because he is sustaining all of creation with his words. And I think that's a powerful thought to meditate on when we sometimes feel like our life doesn't have value doesn't have value. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, says it has value. He gave you breath this morning because he has a purpose for you. You are here on purpose, and if you're here on purpose, you're here for purpose. But I'm going to get into that in just a moment. But one of the things, you know, so we get that here on purpose, for purpose, and we want to grow this relationship with him. Uh, But really what I want to focus on or start on this morning is looking at some of those expectations within the relationship that we have with him. And that begins with understanding our purpose. But taking, uh, taking a step back and going on to that line of uh, expectations. This is one of the areas where I find people kind of shipwreck sometimes their walk with Jesus because we don't fully understand expectations go both ways. What we can expect from him in our walk with him, but also what is expected of us. One of the things we talked about in expectations that God has on us, this, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, we talked about not just receiving him as our savior, but also receiving him as our Lord. Well, that's an expectation. He's saying, when you want to receive salvation, I'll give that to you, but you're receiving me as your Lord. There's an expectation on there. And it's important to understand what the expectations are on us in our relationship with God, because failure to understand the expectations is what often leads to disappointment and disillusionment. And by the way, the same thing happens within our own uh, human relationships as well. 
Expectations are a thing we have in all relationships. Um, the problem we usually have is that they're unspoken, right? No one's laughing. Come on, married people. That is, we know there's lots of problems that comes from that, right? Because we're different people and we're married, we're spending time together, and we each have these assumptions or expectations of the other person uh, that we just assume they're going to be thinking and acting and behaving the way we do. But other people don't do that, do they? Right? And that often leads to conflict. Um, <laughs> years ago, and my granny's here. Hi, granny. I'll give a, a story from me and Lou that ended up involving you. She used you as an example. But anyways, years ago, I'm driving to my parents' house on a Sunday, and I'm pulling up onto the driveway, and I do what I'd always done. And that is, oh, sweet. I'm, I'm uh, well, not sweet, but I'm the first one there. I'm like, oh, shoot, actually is what I meant. Oh, shoot, there's no one else in front of me. That means if I park at the front of the driveway or at the top, more people are going to come. I'm going to get boxed in. So we got a major problem here. Um, but it's easy to solve. You just park at the end of the driveway. Right? That is like basic problem solving right there. I mean, I didn't even have to stress about that. I just did what I always did. I just pulled the end of the driveway, put it into park, and I was going to turn the vehicle off. And my wife reminded me how insensitive that I was and uncaring. That stung. That stung right to here. I was like, ooh, ouch. I'm like, what do you mean I'm insensitive and uncaring? She's like, you're going to make granny walk all the way from down the street because you don't want to get boxed in? Like, that's a valid point. Now, it's funny how these things work sometimes because we're all wired differently. Of course I wouldn't want my granny. Hi, granny. I love you. She is in here. <laughs> uh, of course I wouldn't want granny to walk all the way down the street just because I didn't want to be boxed in. But I hadn't, like, although I had realized that parking at the end took two parking spots, it had never fully settled in the cost of my decision. I had never taken, you know, I, I solved my one little problem without looking at the ramifications. My wife is wired differently. She always thinks that way. She always thinks others first, quite naturally, more naturally than me. And so she reminded me. But what did she do there? She had an expectation on me on how I should be treating others and, and how I should be behaving, even with things like parking. And I was so glad that she shared with me that expectation she had. And I still don't park at the end of the driveway since. Right? And it's not about other people that do. If you're thinking, oh, are you saying I shouldn't? Do whatever you want. <laughs> you don't worry about that, but I won't because of that lesson I learned. That was an expectation. So expectations in relationships are important because if she hadn't communicated that to me, I would have continued doing something that was driving her nuts. There would have been a rift in our relationship, right? Intimacy would be robbed. Joy would be robbed. I'd be wondering what went wrong. And it was something very, very simple. So expectations are an important part of a relationship. You know, in human relationships, we can expect things like respect and safety, intimacy, trust, honesty, openness, roles, shared responsibilities, and more. Right? And you work all of these things out in your different relationships, and every kind of relationship will have a different level or varying level of how these things apply, right? But our relationship with Jesus is, is no different in that sense. It is very different in a sense of where he is above we're not on equal playing field. It's not mutual submission. He is above. That's very, very clear. And he created us. But he created us for a purpose. And that is an expectation on us that we fulfill that purpose while we are on the earth. And it's important that we understand what that expectation is. Because understanding his expectations, if we're going to follow him not just as Savior, but as Lord, 
we need to understand the direction that we're, we're headed in. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Uh, we're looking at our purpose. We're going to look back why he created us. Now back to that phrase that I said, I keep saying it, we're here on purpose, for purpose. I don't want you to forget that. And I know some of you are saying, I already know that. Great, it's not for you. But I know there's others that will be sitting in here this morning or listening that feel like they don't have purpose. That they just mess everything up. That they don't have value. They're just overwhelmed all the time. They just make mistakes all the time. God can't use them. They might even accept that everyone else in the world is here on purpose and for purpose. And if that's you, and you can't receive that, I'm telling you, it's biblical. You are here on purpose, for purpose. Look at this. For you formed my inward parts. This is Psalms 139, 13 to 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Does that sound like an accident to you? Is that something that God did accidentally? Forming your inward parts, knitting you together in your mother's womb? I know it's poetic type of language, but this is the reality. It's not an accident. You aren't an accident. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Think of that. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. There is like this reverence about it. There is an intentionality. Fearfully and wonderfully made. I love that. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you and I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. <laughs> right? Look at that. Isn't that, like, think of the language being used here. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none. Before you were even born, he was planning out the the days, the exact days. I love it. Scripture is quite clear that we are here on purpose. One of the things I've tried very well, or very hard, very hard to do the past three weeks Uh, as we were learning about hearing God, is to continuously bring it back to filtering your feelings, filtering your thoughts, filtering your decisions through what? Scripture. Thank you. I'm like, I thought I I did. I did say it. Uh, But filtering it through Scripture. What does the Word say? What does the Word say? So if you're here today and you feel like you're an accident or you don't have purpose, this is a practical application of what we've been talking about the last three weeks. That is a feeling and a thought that can be rejected because it's opposing to what is in here. Anyhow, that's not what this message is about. But I want to start it here. You're not an accident. Uh, You're here on purpose and you are here for purpose. Now, the question is, what is that purpose, right? So I get it. We're here on purpose, meaning I'm not an accident. If I woke up with breath in my lungs, that is because God has a meaning for my life today. There is no assurance that, he, that, that the same thing will be true for tomorrow. Maybe, maybe for tomorrow, what is required of us is that we stand before him and give an account. That, that, that could also be. But for now, we woke up with breath. We don't know how long we'll have that. But for now, we woke up with breath, and that means we have purpose. Solomon sought after purpose, didn't he? Meaning. He sought after meaning of life. What's the meaning of life? Uh, he <laughs> he kind of tried everything there was underneath the sun, and in the end, he said it's basically meaningless. 
He said it's meaningless. He couldn't find any satisfaction or meaning in this world alone. But then we see right at the end in chapter 12, 13, uh, he says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. He kind of summarizes. Everything else was vain, you know, kind of like Isaiah 55. It was empty cisterns, didn't satisfy him, didn't leave him content. He couldn't understand it. And so he summarizes it at the end. The purpose of man, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. You know, many people think their purpose is to live their best life now. A lot of people do. There's books written about that. I'm not trying to poke fun at that one, but it just happens to be a slogan that's catchy. Uh, But they think it's about that, and whether, maybe we think, well, it's not about your best life now, but we still think that what's important is that we leave ourselves a legacy, that we fulfill our, you know, dreams, and that we make the best of what we've been given. And I think there's some truth in a lot of that, but often in our pursuit to try to fulfill our purpose, we end up making it about us. It ends up being about our glory and about our lives being advanced and about us receiving honor. And human nature seems to gravitate towards us. Why? Because of pride. Right? Human nature loves pride. That's our sin nature. So what is our purpose? Though it's not to glorify ourselves, it is simple to glorify God. I am sure you've heard this before. But I am going to bring us through plenty of scripture this morning and build this case because people sometimes reject this notion that it's more than that. It's bigger than that or it's different than this. It isn't. It is this. This is the foundation that you're building your life on. This is the reason you have breath in your lungs this morning is because God, the Father, seeks to get glory from you with every breath and with every action. And I think that's a beautiful thing to meditate on. Maybe it's scary to meditate on too, though, isn't it? Right, as you look at the implications of what that means for my decisions. But that's what we're going to be talking about. Our purpose is to glorify God. Let's start with uh, this verse here, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Wow, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, does that sound menial? Does it? I mean, is that that grand? I mean, I get to speak up here and wave around my Bible and, right, be excited. I am very excited. I was so incredibly excited to preach this message. I have no idea why. Anyways, but uh, I was giddy this morning when I woke up. But, uh, you know, I get to be here and it's like, well, yeah, it's easy to see. Your, Your job is to glorify God. No, no, Scripture says that's just one thing. Uh, whether you eat or drink. Isn't that an interesting thought? Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, what does whatever you do include? What kind of things? Work, play, play, absolutely. Everything, rest, right? Relationships, spiritual things, non-spiritual things, eating, like the, the whole gamut. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. That is an interesting thing. That's a great verse if you're looking for one to memorize out of this service. If you do that, um, this is a great one to memorize and to think about. Not just to memorize, but to meditate on, to chew on, right? I mean, you could probably have an endless amount of application if, we would, if you would review just this one verse every morning and say, Lord, what does this mean to me today? <laughs> Right? I bet you'd have a fresh application of Scripture every single morning. If that's something you struggle with, I'd suggest starting with this one. But there's more. Look at this, John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And what is he talking about there? One step back? Pray. Ask anything in Jesus' name and he will answer it. Why? So that my Father is glorified. Why does he want to answer your prayers? Because the Father, so that the Father is glorified. 
When you prove to be his disciples, the Father receives glory, and this is what it's about. This is what it's about. John 17, 1 uh, and 3, 3 to 4 here. And this is that passage I've referred to it many times. I'm sure you've read it. This is one of the only prayers we see Jesus praying, other than the Lord's Prayer, which is more of a, a rote model prayer for us. But this is a prayer Jesus prayed before he died for you, for me, for all of mankind, for the disciples that were there then, and all of those who would come. It's an amazing prayer, and you get a lot of insight by looking at the things that he said. What are the things that are important? Like, you think about, this is one of the last things he's going to say on the earth that's recorded. And it's a prayer. It's one of the last things he does and one of the last things he says. And this is part of his prayer. When he spoke in these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. The first thing, glorify me so I can glorify you. That should tell us something. Why is that the first thing out of his mouth? Because we exist for his glory. That's why, that's why it's the first thing. And then there comes, you know, verse 3. You guys know this part, don't you? And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Isn't that interesting? So the work that God sent to Jesus, that he, was, that he accomplished on the earth, was for what end? To glorify God. I glorified you on the earth. So the end result of what was accomplished was the Father received glory. Okay, let's look at more scripture. I think you get that point. Isaiah 43, 7. And by the way, I didn't use an exhaustive amount of scripture. I just used enough to kind of show you it's not a random verse. It's not just 1 Corinthians 10, 31, and there's other verses that give you another purpose. It's not that. This is a theme throughout scripture from the, from the beginning to the end. We exist for God's glory, Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my what? Glory. Let's say it again, and let's say it at home too. Can we read this passage together? Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Our purpose is to glorify God. Now, I think we're starting to get that. Uh, but have you ever wondered what is that? What does that mean to glorify God? What is glory? Great question. I'm glad you asked because that's the next part of my notes. (laughs) Um, But before I get to there, right? So we have, this is basically this. Uh, What is glory? Glory, doxa, means majesty, a thing belonging to God, heavy in weight. Excellence. This is kind of when it's talking about glory, it's talking about this. Now when you look at how it's used in scripture, both in the Hebrew and in, in Greek, what you'll find is this. It's common use is whenever you see the invisible attributes of God being made visible to mankind, it's called the glory of God. So with the burning bush, that's the glory of God was revealed there. It was, it was the burning bush. Um, you get a whole bunch of different examples throughout Scripture where it's talking about God's glory, and it's just some type of attribute of His that's being displayed on the earth. Isaiah uh, says this, you got Isaiah 6, 3. I was meditating on this this morning as well uh, because this is a, a favorite passage of mine. I'm going to talk about it next week. But, and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his what? Glory. Don't you think it would have made more sense to say, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of his holiness? Right? 
But when it's made visible on the earth, it's called his glory. It's his invisible attributes revealed to mankind. It's called his glory. You know that ultimately everything God does, he does for the sake of his glory. I'm not saying that he doesn't have other purposes as well, but that is the main, the, the main purpose for which he does things. Psalm 19 says this. Psalm 23, Ezekiel 20, Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, I remember uh, reading that years ago at a set free where, where this really impacted me. But you get that awesome promise in there, you'll probably be familiar with it, where it talks about, I will remove your heart of stone and and give you a new heart, one of flesh, and give you a new spirit, and give you the desires to obey me, right? There's that whole passage. Some of you are nodding your heads, others not. You should read it. It's a great promise. But what I really loved is look at the bookends right before and right after in the whole passage and the context. It tells you why he's going to do it, because we look at this amazing promise of a new heart and new spirit. Who doesn't want that? Right? I mean, I want that. I want one that reflects his glory better than the one I have now. Right? This one, this one makes a lot of mistakes. But anyways, when we look at why he's going to do it, was he going to do it because Israel was such a good people to him and because they were trying so hard? So then, you know, I see all of your efforts and you're really pushing forward. And so now I'm going to give you what you want. Nope. That's not why. He actually says it's, it's kind of funny. Well, maybe it's not. Maybe funny is not the right word to use. Anyways, he says, because you have profaned my name. What they were doing is profaning his name. They were doing the opposite of giving him glory. They were robbing him of glory. So he said, what is the answer to that? Well, I'm going to change your heart and give you a new spirit and pull you back together from the lands to which you're scattered and make you my people. I will be your people. You will be my God. So that what? So that you can give me glory. It wasn't even about them. He was doing that for the sake of his name, to, to glorify his own name. I think that's incredible. But John 8, John 12, John 17, Romans 1. Romans 1 talks about creation. Creation what? Testifies of the glory of God. How does it do that? It's revealing the invisible attributes of God on the earth. Creation does that, right? That's what Romans 1 is talking about there. Romans 11 talks about the same thing. Obviously, Corinthians 10, Colossians 1. The whole point is everything God does, he does for his glory. That's what he's doing it for. And so it shouldn't surprise us then that we were also created to give him glory. Right? That would make sense. It would be in line with what the Bible teaches. All right. Uh, Now, who glorifies God the most or What's the best way that we've ever been able to see his invisible attributes on the earth? It is through the person of Jesus Christ. The Son. The Son came here and perfectly showed and gave gave us an example of what the invisible God was like. With a visible Son, Jesus. Colossians 1.15 says the Son is the image of the invisible God. Isn't that an interesting thought? He is the image of the invisible God. Love that. The firstborn of all creation. Hebrews 1 verse 3. For the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That's back to that verse I was referencing before. You're here on purpose. You had breath in your lungs. Right? He's sustaining you by his powerful word. But the Son is the radiance of God's glory. He's the perfect reflection of God's glory. John 1:14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his what? Glory. We have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. Right? What we know about God is what we can see in the face of Jesus. That's 2 Corinthians 4. So what we know. So if 
our purpose is to glorify God, and we can understand that, right? And Jesus perfectly showed us what God was like. Then our purpose is to follow and reflect Jesus, or to imitate him, if you will. Imitate. It's an interesting word, isn't it? You know, my, <laughs> my kids, you probably experienced this when you have, if you've had your own kids, but especially when they're younger, uh, do not like imitation. As you get older, you realize it's a sincere form of flattery, and it's like, oh, you want to do something that I do. That's probably a compliment. When you're younger, it's the opposite of a compliment. It's copying, right? And copying is bad when you're young. I don't know what age copying be, be, uh, you know, is not bad, but anyways, as you get older, you start realizing imitation is a good thing. And it's biblical. It's biblical. We're to imitate, right? Little wonder that if you go right back and we start in Genesis, what does it say here? God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them both male and female, right? Why did he create us in his image? Because we were supposed to be image bearers. We were supposed to be reflectors of who he was. We were supposed to be the example of what God was like on the earth. That was supposed to be our purpose. Now, obviously, there's a problem, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But, but first, let's go back, you know, to the um, passages. Where am I on my notes? Did I flip my page too soon? That doesn't matter. Anyways, oh yeah, here I am. Now, remember, Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be what? Imitators. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Look at that, right in the Bible. So we have it in Genesis. We were designed in God's image. Why? To reflect his image on the earth. Now we go right forward to New Testament, and Ephesians tells us what? We are to be imitators of God. We are to imitate him. Jesus was the perfect imitation. He was God, but he perfectly showed us what God is like here on the earth. We are supposed to imitate him. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul actually echoes this language. It's interesting. He says, I urge you then be imitators of me. Now, I don't know if I've ever told that to anyone other than my kids, to which they usually roll their eyes. But anyways, Paul was getting at something. He wasn't just saying, imitate me and everything I'm doing as Paul. In verse 11, we actually get a little bit of a, a clue into what he was saying. He's saying, being imitators of me as I am of Christ. Meaning again, Paul was what? He said that when he stood before God, he, was, he didn't have any fear. Can you imagine saying some of the things Paul said? I have confidence to stand before the Lord because I have done what he has asked me to do. I think that's so incredible that he had such confidence. Well, what did he set his life on doing? Well, it says right here, as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. His path, the trajectory he was on, was imitating Christ on the earth. Jesus modeled this too. The son can only do what he sees who doing. The father. Jesus modeled imitation for us. He showed us what it was like. He can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, so the son does likewise. Absolutely. So, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. In this case, we could say fulfilling the biblical command to imitate Jesus, to imitate God, is worship. Right? Sincerest form of flattery is worship. That's really what we're talking about. We're worshiping him because he's worthy. So God's writing this story we're all living in, and so he has the opportunity to express himself to the people he loves. And in in expressing himself, he's bringing himself glory. He's making the invisible visible. So every time you imitate Christ on the earth, every time Jesus says, when you gave a cup of cold water to someone, to, to one of the least of these because he was my disciples, 
you gave it to me. He's saying, so even when you go and do that one small act of kindness, you are, you are making visible on the earth the invisible attributes of what God is like. You're bringing him glory. So it doesn't have to be big things. It doesn't have to be speaking. It can be the smallest act of kindness. It can be the, the most stress-fulfilled prayer, cry out to God in the dark when no one else can hear you. It could be when you're working as hard as you can because you're working as the one to the Lord. You have your job and you're just trying your best, whatever it is. You could be a computer programmer. You could be a construction worker. You can be a mom. Doesn't matter, but you are working at it as hard as you can and you're getting back up when you fail and you're going forward and you are fulfilling your calling. I think that's a wonderful thing to meditate on. God made us with the same purpose. He made us for his glory. That's Isaiah 43, 7. That's what we covered already. Therefore, he made us in his image, Genesis 1.27. The problem occurred, though, when we sinned. So we were made to be image bearers in the beginning, right? He created us male and female to bear his image on the earth. There's lots of implications from that. But then right away, as we find uh, in Genesis, the fall of mankind. The problem we experienced in all of this is sin. And that's what Jesus came to rectify and to save us from, which is wonderful. But the problem is sin. So sin is the problem. Now, how does sin relate to God's glory? When we think of sin, do you ever wonder what sin is? <laughs> right? Like, what, what actually constitutes sin? What does sin even mean? Well, sin is the opposite of giving God glory, right? Because sin conceals God's glory. Whereas when I follow God in obedience on the earth, I actually, I, sh- I make the, the invisible visible through my actions. I love others. I do good. I pray. I, we're going to go through a list of that later on in next week. But sin is the opposite of that. When we sin, we're actually doing things that are contrary to the character of God. We're concealing his glory on the earth. And that's really what sin is. If you look at the literal translation of sin, I used Hebrew and Greek here, um, um, how it's often used. But, you know, in the Hebrew, to go astray, to go astray, to veer off of a path, right? You're on a path that you're supposed to be on, the path towards God and giving him glory, and you're veering off that path. You're going astray. That's, that would be sin, I like the, the Greek meaning because they also used it, um, like, miss the mark. They used it for even shooting an arrow. If you'd miss the mark, the word used can also be sin, right? That's sin when you miss your target. I'll never think of that again in the same way when you're target shooting. But missing the mark, well, what is the mark? To make the invisible God visible on the earth to glorify him. That's the mark. I want to glorify God with my whole being, with my breath, with my actions, with my reactions, with my thoughts, making them submissive to the Lord. That's my goal. And sin is the opposite of that. It is when we miss the mark of bringing God glory. And that's important for us to understand. You know, sin is breaking God's commands. Absolutely, yes. But God's commands, they aren't a random list. I know we've said this before, but I have to repeat it. They aren't a random list of do's and don'ts. And that's sometimes how we approach sin. We're like, ah, God can be a killjoy. He just doesn't want me to have fun. Or he's just about controlling. It's just about this. No, it's, it's not any of that. It's not, a, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's actually, we're, we're looking at, he's showing us what he is like. Right? That's why it couldn't have been opposite. He couldn't have reversed the Ten Commandments and given us a different Ten Commandments to live by. It wouldn't have worked. Right? He commands us not to murder because why? He's just. He says don't murder. He commands us not to, to only have one wife. Why? Because he's faithful. It's who he is. 
He says, to only have one wife, I'm faithful. He commands us not to steal. Why? Because he's honest. Right? So when you don't steal and when you don't lie, what are you doing? When you speak the truth and do so in love, you are bringing God glory by making his invisible attributes visible on the earth, showing the world what he is like. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. We're supposed to imitate that here on the earth. All of God's commandments are an extension of the very character of God. Therefore, to break God's commands is to conceal God's expression of himself on the earth, and we call that sin. Right? And the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. That's Romans 6. And then if we look at Romans 3, look at this. For all of sin didn't fall short of what? The glory of God. There you see the sin and glory together again. Right? So we've sinned. What is sin? It's the opposite of giving glory to God. We've fallen short of the glory of God. You would think it should say all have sinned and broken God's commandments. Right? Wouldn't that make more sense with sometimes how we think about it? Right? Because we just all have sinned and broken God's do's and don'ts list. But he says, no, no, no. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Fallen short of displaying his invisible attributes and character on the earth. That's what it's about. So, to obey uh, God's commands is to fulfill God's purpose because it is to bear his image, reflect his nature, and thus glorify him. And I love that. We can all do this. Now, how can we glorify God? This is something we're going to talk about this week and as I close off next week. I'm going to do a small start today uh, because I just won't have... <laughs> we have 11 minutes. I'm watching the time. So, okay, keep it going here. So, First thing I got to say about your purpose. You can't miss your purpose. We've said that lots over the last two years. You can't miss your purpose. But let's complete that statement. You can reject your purpose or fail to fulfill your purpose. That is true. But you can't just miss it. It's not something that you just miss in the sense of you're living your life and one day you just realize, oh shoot, I missed my purpose. It's not that. But there is an intentionality to it. There is right? There is, there's totally an intentionality on it, and that's why the the scriptures have lots to say about what it means to glorify God, what it means, Romans 12, the mark of a true Christian, what it means, you know, Galatians 5, that we are to bear the fruit of the Spirit. If we live by the, the, by the, by the law and what that means, if we live by the flesh, what that means, if we live by the Spirit, what that means, right? We're back to those expectations, but there's lots said in scripture about how we can glorify God, but you're not going to just miss it, And I hope that encourages you this morning, but it is important that we realize you can reject it, and let's be warned not to do that. Let's not reject that purpose. Let's not cloud our lives with living for ourselves. You know, we've talked lots about who is Lord of your life. That's a great thing to talk about. It's also very biblical, and it ties in with this, right? Because He is our Lord. That's why we're reflecting Him. He is Lord. Absolutely, yes. But how do you know who's Lord of your life? Look at the things you praise. Look at the things you serve, right? You want to know who's Lord of your life? Look at the things that you seek to bring praise to. You're like, well, what does that even mean? Do you seek your own glory or do you seek the glory of the Father? What are your thoughts in life dominated by? Right? People seeing you or people seeing Him? Now, if that's convicting to you, know that that's one of the main things that I confess to the Lord. And I pray about almost regularly before I come up and speak. I had my wife praying for me last night, sitting around the fire for exactly this. I'm like, oh, 
my human nature, it so just desires to get glory. I want people to see me. And, I, and I'm always like, Lord, I lay that down and I ask her to pray for me. Pray that people will see him, not me. Right? So I know this is, it's human of us, so I get it. But we need to be examining our hearts. That's a biblical discipline that we should be doing regularly. Not once when we go to a set free and wait until the next time five years later. It's a regular discipline that we should be doing examining our hearts because we don't want to miss the mark that is sin. We don't want to conceal God's glory by seeking after our own. Right? So if you are mainly seeking personal glorification to advance your goals, dreams, and life, you may be living as your own God and seeking your own glory. In that case, you're missing the mark that is sin. I would encourage you, if that's hitting your heart this morning, to spend some time confessing that to the Lord because he is faithful and just and will forgive you if you ask for it. But if you're here and you might think, I am full of weaknesses and I feel condemned and I feel shame, I have nothing to offer, but I want to and I try right? I want to be good. I want to. Sometimes I have all the best intentions to do something good for someone, and it doesn't always turn out good, but I'm trying, and I want them to see Jesus, but it doesn't always, you know, human success and failure, it's hard to kind of sometimes see in a positive way, but you're trying to give God glory. You are trying to live for Him, and when He shows you something, you are quick to repent. You are quick to turn. You are quick to pray, to humble yourself. And let me tell you this morning, you are living a life that is growing in the glory of God. You are living a life that is growing in giving him glory. That is, that is what it means to fulfill your purpose. And now obviously this isn't something I can look at your life or you can look at mine and determine. But this is one of those things we should be bringing to the Lord. Now my question though is with all of this, so how do we glorify him? And I'm going to get onto the practical side, but what I really do like about this, you know, think about this. It doesn't matter what your life circumstances are to fulfill your purpose. Like we think government restrictions, and I'm not going to go and speak long on that because we don't have time, but think government restrictions. Oh, they're bad. We just, we, they're so hard. I'm not saying they're all bad. They have a purpose, but, right? I'm not, it's not about picking a side here, but you might just be feeling they're so harsh and it's so wrong and it's keeping me from, you know, loving God and it's keeping me from engaging in all these kind of things. And there may be some truth to that, but it is not. It is not. I repeat, not keeping you from fulfilling your purpose. Nobody can do that. No government, no demon, nobody but you. For those that like control, didn't that feel good? You have control over that, right? Now, you have control over what you're going to choose to do, but you don't have the power to do it on your own. Even if you choose to live a life that glorifies God, you'll only be able to do so by humbling yourself before him daily regularly, daily, sometimes moment by moment, and allowing his spirit to work through you. And I think that's pretty incredible. There's hope, right? COVID-19, financial security, lockdowns, isolation, government passing laws that allow people to commit suicide with assist or that, to say that we are no longer able to call things sin that are sin. These kind of things are happening in our world today. Attacks that are coming against the church and against people. I'd say it's not just about the church. They're against people. It's not, they're not loving laws, and these things are happening, and it's scary. It is scary, but it cannot keep you from your purpose. If you woke up this morning, and you had breath in your lungs, that is because the God of the universe is sustaining you by the word of his power. And if you're here on purpose, you are here for purpose. And I stand by that. So, on purpose, for purpose, my question to all of us is, what are you going to do about it? With that breath in your lungs... 
What are you going to use it for? You don't know how many times you're going to draw in, inhale air, oxygen, and exhale. You don't know how many times you have left. You don't know how many beats are left on your heart. You don't. Only God does. You don't know how many days were given to you. So what are you going to do with the time you have left? What am I going to do? And not putting it off to next year or next month or next week. What are we going to do today to give him glory? Well, I want to finish this off here this morning. And uh, we're going to look at one of the things. I have a whole list of things that I wanted to put in here, but I had to delete them. This message got long. Uh, Lots of scripture, though. Isn't that good? Don't you love meditating on the word? I always love throwing as many as I can in there without driving you too nuts. um, Because I just love this. I don't know how many times you read my journal, you'd see me quoting Psalm 119 about how much I love his word. It's all about the word, Psalm 119. It's my comfort in my affliction. It makes me wise. It trains me in war. It does all these things. It's wonderful. But anyhow, abide in Christ. So what does abide mean? To remain in, dwell with, wait on, obey. We often talk about abiding when we talk about our devotional times, right? It's one of those areas where we do that. But that's not the the full picture. Abiding is actually a lifestyle of waiting on, remaining in, dwelling with Christ. That's what it is. But this is absolutely imperative for glorifying God because this is a famous passage. Obviously, we've read it many times. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide um, in him. Now, it goes on to, there we go. Yep. So whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You can do nothing apart from him. Nothing. So then we skip forward here, and it talks about, uh, no, I went too far forward. So we'll go one back. And it says, by this my father is glorified. So back to that glory that you bear much fruit and so prove to be his disciples. So if you want to bear much fruit and to prove to be his disciples so that you can glorify God, you can't do that unless you are connected to Christ, unless you are abiding in him. And two quick ways that we do that, and then we'll... Um, Take a moment to pray and we'll worship together. Oh, did I go too fast? I did. Yep. There it is. First one, pray in Jesus' name. There's two primary ways that we're going to talk about how we remain in Christ. And there's more than that, but we're going to look at two primary ways. One, pray in Jesus' name. John 14, 3. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be what? Glorified in the Son. It's all over the Bible. I'm not sure how people ever think that's not our purpose. But anyways, glory to God. John 15, 7 to 8. Remember, this is what we just went through. If you abide, dwell with, remain, and wait on me, that's Jesus, and my words, both what has been spoken and what the Spirit is speaking in your current situation. We have rhema and logos, right? What God is speaking, still speaking. Like if you abide in those words, you can ask whatever you wish as your wishes and your heart now reflects the heart of Jesus. Now you're becoming an imitator of him. And it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified. His invisible attributes are shown in the world that you bear much fruit and so prove to be his disciples, which is those who imitate Jesus, the perfect representation of the glory of God. Pray in Jesus' name. No prayer is a wasted prayer. None. Lastly here, we need to spend time in and obey God's word. If you want to know what he is like, You want to know who he is? You want to know what he wants for your life? It's all in here. We've spent most of our time this morning just going through here, front to back. Right? 
And what are we learning about our purpose? What does God require of us? Expectations. We're learning lots just from his word. Spend time in and obey God's word. We're going to take a moment and just meditate right now. I'm just going to skip forward here. We'll focus on that next week anyways. This is our practice today. And I want you to grab your, grab your Bibles if you can. And I'm going to start by praying for you. Lord, today we recognize that our purpose here is to glorify you. That's it. And right now we just confess any ways in our lives, whether it be an addiction or a bondage or a character issue, whether it be a pride issue, or just ignorance. Any area, Lord, where we are living in a way that conceals your glory, that misses the mark. This morning we say we are sorry, deeply sorry. We want to say yes to you as our Lord. We want to say yes to you. Would you show your glory, what you are like through our lives on the earth? So Holy Spirit, would you reveal yourself to us now? Would you examine our heart as we read through your word? Speak to us. Correction, encouragement, and direction. I encourage you just to read John 15, 1-17. And just ask the Lord, what is one step you can take today and this week? Two steps to glorify him. head into the last song but if you're still writing you're still reading I encourage you just to finish take this time to reflect take the time to let the Holy Spirit minister to your hearts and then commit your way to him thanks again for joining us for our weekend message if you have any needs or prayer requests please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com once again our phone number is 204 204- 326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.